Hello, everybody. Uh, this is our wonderful podcast, Fandom Talks, from the Fandom Correspondence. Uh, my name is Al, uh, better known as Red Lanyard on the page, um, and I'm going to be the the host, the MC of tonight's podcast. Um, I am also joined by my wonderful compatriots. Uh, we got editor in chief Vance McCarty. Hello, everyone. Uh, we've also got uh, the lovely Raven. Hi. And we also have um, the man who's going to be on the mic for most of the night. We also have uh, Joshua Wisage. Hey, word up. All righty, guys. So um, for this podcast, um, I had the idea, um, actually I had the idea a few days ago of um, what is my favorite thing? This is actually something my roommate asked me um, because he came up to me and my roommate and I share lot of various interests um, and things like that, um, as well as some unique things that um, we're interested in on our own. Um, and my wonderful roommate was just like, hey, Al, what's like, what's like your favorite thing? And I, and, um, I didn't understand at first. I was just like, well, um, I like my dogs a lot. Those are, probably, those are probably towards the top. But he was just like, no, 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 like your favorite, like your favorite thing. Like, what kind of genre, fandom-related thing are you the most into that you would want to, like, handle and work with? And I thought that was a great question uh, for anybody who's keeping track. My favorite thing is probably Spider-Man. But, um, so I had this idea. If, if each of us were approached by some kind of a mysterious business person and, and we were told, hey, you have the ability to make three projects related to your favorite things. Those projects can be anything you want. The budget is not an issue. You can make three projects based on pre-existing fandom-related things. What are they going to be? And I'm a firm believer that you learn the most about a person from hearing them talk about their favorite things or their favorite people. So for this podcast series, um, each of us is going to take a night where we talk about what those projects would be. Um, the way we've uh, kind of carved it up is we each of us have um, a video game we're going to talk about, um, a feature film, either live action or animated, that we're going to talk about, and then a third project that can be anything. It can be another film or video game. It can be a comic book series. It can be a... Um, a uh, tabletop RPG, whatever it is, um, that we each would do if this um, opportunity was actually presented to us. Um, so tonight, our lovely Joshua Weisage, um has these three things tonight, and he is going to take it away. Um, Josh, if you like, uh, go ahead and give me your video game idea. Okay, cool. So, um, so video games are have been a... Um, massive part of my life um i mean i, I don't i don't remember I, I don't remember a time where i didn't want to play video games uh basically one of the places i grew up in in town is a place called uh, diamond lanes uh which is a bowling alley uh but for me it was a bowling alley for me it was an arcade um it was a place where uh you know i would go and uh beg my father for quarters and then I would take those quarters and lose them in Street Fighter because Street Fighter in the arcade is 
patently unfair. Uh, and then I would go on back for more quarters and try different games and things like that. But one thing that's happened uh, that I've noticed that has happened is that there's a lot of games that I love, a lot of games that I've had a that have had a profound effect on me. Um, and I think we could probably say this for all all four of us that have had a profound effect on us, games that we've loved, but that people have forgotten uh, that they don't even remember anymore. Um, so you know, uh, one of the just just an example before I get into my idea. You know, there is a uh, a game called Battle Arena Toshinden. Okay, familiar? Are y'all from anybody familiar with that game at all? I, I got nothing. Okay, so Battle Arena Toshinden was a launch title for the original PlayStation. Okay, and it was a fighting game, uh, and it was based around these you know guys that they all had different weapon styles that they would fight with. It's kind of almost like based around Street Fighter with uh, uh, with weapons, because like the two main guys were a, a Japanese dude that was um, you know that was was the main character, but then he had a counterpart that was a blonde counterpart as well. So it was kind of like Street Fighter with weapons. It was a total knockoff, but I loved it. Okay, there were three of these games. There were three Battle Arena Shinden games. Okay. Um, and no one remembers this game. Nobody even knows anything about it. So my my pitch to you is not a Battle of Ranta Shinden game. Okay, I don't want I don't want to do that. Uh, there's no need for another fighting game. We've we've got so many great fighting games. What we do not have though, or at least we don't have yet, is a video game that celebrates being a video game. Uh, what I mean by that is like in movies, like there's all types. I mean, you know, La La Land, you know, is a movie that celebrates movies. Okay. Particularly musicals, but the concept of going to Hollywood and, you know, be, becoming a star, even though they've kind of got a dark twist on it. It's a movie that celebrates movies, you know, a movie like the artist, you know, is a movie that celebrates movie. You know, Hugo is a movie that celebrates movies. Um, you know, and so we, 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 you've got that in the movies. Okay. You've obviously got that in music because, you know, there's, there's all types of musicians. They're just doing it for the music, man. You know I mean? There's all types of those. Okay. You don't have that in video games yet. So here's my pick. Okay. All right. My pick is called the forgotten video game all-stars. And here's the general concept of it. You would take. If you had the power, now here, here's where here's where the fantasy part comes comes into play, okay? But if you had the power to take all these video game characters that have not been used in years and put them in one video game and ha tell a story about what it was like to be a video game character. So take, for example... Uh, so let's go with Battle Royale to Shinden, okay? Just a general uh, concept this before I get into themes uh, of what I want to explore. But if you go into Battle Royale to Shinden, you know, you, if you picked a character from that, you'd probably pick Iaiji, who's the main character in that. He's the main Japanese swordsman, okay? And the general concept would be to take his character and instead of, like, putting him in a straight-on fighting game, somehow have him transport into another world where maybe it's a platformer. So how would a fighting game character work in a platformer? You know, how would someone that, you know, uses his time uh, or spends most of his time being a, you know, martial artist 
you know, running around with a sword, going one on one. How would he handle a platforming video game? Okay, and then take someone that's a platformer. So, like for me, a game that I remember, maybe, and I don't. Once again, I don't know if you guys remember or not. I'm kind of showing my age. Another launch title uh, for PlayStation, or close to launch title was uh, Gex the Gecko. Do y'all remember Gex the Gecko? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember I, Gex. Okay, so Gex hasn't been around for years, okay? And probably part of that is because he was, like, um, extremely obnoxious. Like, I mean, that's, the, that's just the only way to discuss him. He's just extremely, utterly obnoxious. Um, but take a character like him, take him out of a platformer, you know, and maybe put him in a first-person shooter, you know? And so what I what I'm attempting to do is is take different characters, you know, and transport them. You'd have to have some type of, of bad guy. I do have an idea for that, but you have to have some type of idea for a bad guy later on uh, who is causing all this havoc. But as as you are playing this game, you're getting a celebration of not just video games, you know, or or, or not not just you know the video games we all celebrate. Because I mean, like Mario Odyssey is a celebration of Mario, very mm-hmm. much so. Sure. But really, just celebration of video games as a whole, you know. Like you know, what does it mean to you know have that you know that first moment where you have that first big epic moment in an RPG like Final Fantasy, you know, or like you know you know like what what is it like to have that moment where you know you finally finally get through that tough platforming part. I'm thinking of like the turtles and Crash Bandicoot, where you got to jump on them and jump over everything, you know. Like that's just ridiculous. And the first time you accomplish that. You know, what, why don't we have anything that celebrates that feeling? You know, video games don't have that right now. And so that's what this would be. Um, where do you want me to go from here, Al? Uh, that's my initial pitch. What do you want? What Q, do you want? Q&A? I was actually kind of considering that. Like, oh, like, yeah. like, what do you want to know other than that? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, um, if anybody has any um, questions or, or comments just about the um, initial idea, um, then feel free to uh, just sh- sh- have them out. Um, Jacob, you got anything? Yeah, I've actually, I've actually got one. Uh, so my initial question, right off the right off the bat, is: so would this be like an overarching like story where all of these older characters were coming together, or is this something more like a mini game? Like, no, it's an overarching know? story. Okay, because I was that, that was I, my question too. Yeah, because you you had kind of you had mentioned you know like, and and I think I think immediately those would be interesting uh, choices would be like uh, the guy. E-E-G, or how do you say his name? I E G. I always said I E G, but that's I- fine. I E G. Okay, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I'm, it's, I'm so it's, sorry. It's, it's <laughs> E I J I. I have no clue how to say it. Okay, and of course when they say it in the video game, it's like yeah, yeah, you know, like, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't <laughs> understand them because of the place they really do. Sure. Yeah. So okay, so whoever the that that guy was, yeah, you know, he sounds cool. Um, being in a platformer, Gex being like a first person shooter, I think the concept of switching back between the different play styles would be kind of an interesting thing because to me you know and i can't I, there's a couple of games i can think of that do this in certain ways and really i mean it's weird that the first one that's coming to mind is mario party but the fact that it's always changing up the style of play that you're doing like in the mini games and everything is always interesting to the player because it, it, it you you can never say that the gameplay becomes stale mm-hmm. if, if, if you're doing something like that um you know i mean how how many times 
I mean, or look at a game like Spider-Man, you know, I mean, I know, I know for a lot of people, you know, the Mary Jane and Miles parts may have been kind of annoying in comparison to, you know, swing around the city. And yeah, I get it. But at the same time, it, what it did break up the pace and it did kind of change things a little bit, you know? Um, so I think that the initial idea sounds really interesting. Um, were now you mentioned that there was a possibility of you had a villain in mind? I do actually. Uh, oh, oh, okay. And that, uh, who is it? <clears throat> uh, well, there's there's a question you asked before that. Okay. The question asked before that is who is my roster? I mean, see, I was going, I was going to do that. I was, I, I was, I was curious. I was curious if you wanted to do that. Like, first, I don't or... like the thing is, is like, I mean, look, the villain, the villains, you know, like the 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 villain is is a is a thing, okay? But he's almost a MacGuffin. Okay. All right, at this point, you know, um, you know, to, you know, to some extent, okay? I mean, that that's what he is. He's a MacGuffin to get everyone to come together and do something, mm. okay? So the general, the general idea for me, okay, is that you have a moment where all of these video game characters wake up in a different area, okay? And the storyline will be something to the effect of, and like, and, and here's the thing. I want to make this as melodramatic as possible Naturally. to the point where like you think this is just the most ridiculous thing because I love video games that are ridiculous. Okay. One of our, one of our favorite hardesty moments and something that we have used for going on 15 years now is there's a moment in dynasty warrior three yep. where soon says father gets hit with a giant <laughs> boulder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and soon say he goes, Father to the sky, and then goes, Damn Lu Zhao. Okay. <laughs> we have stated that. We have used that forever. We've also used Juge Leong the Wind, which is, something, the wind. Yes. which is in every Dynasty Warriors. Okay. And for the record, we love everything Koei Tecmo has done. Exactly. This is one hundred percent just out of love. So, you know? so but that, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, that that melodrama that you get from those old video games is just hilarious i mean if you go back and you play final fantasy three or six depending on what type of hipster you are final fantasy uh if you go back and you play that game that game is so melodramatic you know it's not even it's not even funny you know uh kefka literally destroys the world in that game so you know i, I want that melodrama so for me you have to have something this is one thing i don't have but you have to have some way that he is going to erase all video games and have oh. his own video game. And that's Whoa. the only thing you can play Whoa. because he's been forgotten. Okay. He has okay. been forgotten and no one remembers him. But here's my roster. Okay? okay. All right. Here's my roster. Okay. I've already mentioned Gex. Okay. Gex has to be in there because Gex was just a utterly ridiculous uh, video game character. Uh, I mean, something that you just can't. I mean, the, the Gex is something that you that couldn't happen in any other medium in my opinion you know i mean i mean he's a he's a essentially a um james bond gecko james <laughs> bond gecko but like you know like like for lack of a better term like um you know extremely like uh i don't know um inappropriate <laughs> would be the, like inappropriate in both a sexual and just like inappropriate in general just like that's what he is you know um uh, you know and it just i mean he's he'd be perfect okay you have to have him okay all right i've already mentioned uh ieg because or aig or however we say his name uh because i love battle oriental shindon and no one ever talks about that game anymore 
Okay. Um, we definitely need to figure out how to say his name. Before yeah, exactly. Out. Yeah. Uh, another character I would really love to have is Gabe Logan. Does anybody know where Gabe Logan's from? That name sounds yeah. really familiar, but I can't think of it. Al, do you know? Uh, same here. It sounds really familiar, but I can't place where it's from. Yeah, that's from the game Siphon Filter. Sy- okay. Oh, Hell yeah, Siphon Filter. Okay. Siphon Filter has been around since uh, PlayStation 2. They did this weird, they tried to do this weird like online version of it on PlayStation 2 when the PS2 was uh, d- trying to do online capabilities even though no one had broadband. <laughs> so like it was, it was not, it, it was not capable of doing much. Uh, and it, of course it bombed miserably. <clears throat> but uh, in Siphon Filter 1 and 2, Gabe Logan is the man, okay? He's a, you know, just a, um, uh, if you ever wanted to play, if you know, you were either a Solid Snake guy or a Gabe Logan guy there for a while, you know? And Gabe Logan was the guy that, you know, would just go through the levels and shoot things up. So he's our shooter, okay? Gabe Logan is our shooter, okay? Uh, and, you know, I mean, to me, that's that's a that's a perfect character uh, to have in that. So for RPGs, RPGs, a character that, would be next to impossible to get. Like, we'd have to know somebody to get this one, okay? Not necessarily because this person or this character is, you know, overtly popular, just because the people we'd have to deal with to get it is just very difficult. But I would love to have Aya Brea. Do y'all know who that is? I got, I got nothing. Jenny? No. No. <laughs> So there was there was a character uh, in early PlayStation games, uh, or there was an early PlayStation game called Parasite Eve. Okay, there were two of them. And the main character in that is, is Ayabrea. Now Al's laughing because he knows that he knows who does Parasite Eve. I know, I know the I know that, and I know the community around Parasite Eve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I don't know either. Well, Square, uh, Squaresoft. Oh, Lord. Okay. Parasite yeah. Eve. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as the community goes, uh, you know, I don't I don't know much about the community, uh, but I do know that character is utterly forgotten. Like, no one, no one even remembers that character. Um, and I think, you know, uh, that character would be, you know, perfect. Um, you know, she was an interesting character in Parasite Eve. I never played 2. I heard 2 was horrible, actually. Uh, but in 1... She's a uh, fantastic character um, in the sense that uh, she's a cop, but she also has these like weird parasite abilities that are basically like magic, um, but they're almost horrifying, you know, because they end up being like, you know, claws and tentacles and stuff like that. Uh, but like, but still, as you do, really cool character, okay, you know, and uh, one that I'd really want in there, okay. Um, I think you got to have a rhythm based character. And for me, there's only one. This. Who, who's my rhythm based? Uh, Jenny, do you know it? Good. No. Oh, come on. Get a room, man. Exactly. Oh, I feel so Oh, I should have known. It's a uh, fantastic I game. Uh, I don't even remember. I don't know what company did it. Do you remember? It was a, it was a smaller one. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't remember them. I mean, I could look it up real quick. Al, have you ever, oh, have you ever heard of Get a Room, man? Um, I have not actually, no. Okay, so that, that's a game that also has a huge following. Um, but the game essentially was a PlayStation 2 game where um, it was a rhythm game, but they tried to do the rhythm to where you were playing a guitar. And so the only way they could figure out to do that was like you would follow this line 
and you would hold the notes on the line as long as the note was there. Uh, that's hard to explain. You'd have to see it. Uh, and I, and I, anyone that's listening to this, okay, all right, if you take nothing, I'm not going to say that because my next two things are pretty awesome too, but if you take one of five things away from tonight, okay, <laughs> you have to look up Get a Room Man, okay? The songs will get in your head. I mean, some of the best songs I've ever been in any video game. Get a uh, room man walked so Guitar Hero could run. I mean, honestly, exactly, pretty much. Mm. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's a that's fair. That's, true. that's a fair statement. I, I, forgive me if you don't want to get a room man. I've got to explain this. So, get a room man is this <coughs> nerdy kid, okay? And one day he wakes up, and uh, an intergalactic uh, dog appears before him, okay? And this dog gives him the power to become Gitaru Man by handing him this guitar uh, that is an intergalactic guitar, okay? And he uses that guitar and the power of rock to fight all types of different uh, enemies. Um, the, you know, the, the most famous, there's two really famous ones. One, of course, is uh, Mojo King B, who is a trumpet player uh, based on if a Spanish trumpet player and a uh, trumpet player from Harlem joined together. Uh, <laughs> that would be what Mojo King B is, um, and you have to fight his trumpet playing with your get with your with your guitar. Okay, and then uh, the last one, of course, is the uh, the foam bone band, uh, which is basically a bunch of skeletons that play the xylophone on their bones. Uh, I mean, it's just it is glorious. Okay, it is it is what it is so so glorious. You, I'm not joking. Every single song is on YouTube. I have listened to them thousands if, of times myself. You have to go and watch uh, Get a Room Man. You have to. If you're listening to this podcast on the Fan Correspondence website, I can personally guarantee that the videos will be attached at the bottom as well. They are and glorious. You can go ahead and follow those. <laughs> they are so, um, so glorious. I did find out a little bit about the company. Uh, so it was published by Koei Tecmo. Um, it was developed by a company named uh, Innis. It's I-N-I-S. Um, and they didn't really do a whole lot here in America, uh, except for Elite Beat Agents, which was like an early Nintendo DS games. If uh, DS game, if you guys didn't know about it, um, but yeah, they didn't. They 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 primarily do stuff in Japan. For some reason, their stuff doesn't really come over to the Western audience as much. That's Get a Room Man didn't really come over mm -hmm. to the Western audience as much. Uh, they did one spinoff, I know, because I was looking this up to see if I could get it for you for Christmas one year. Um, uh, it only came out on the PSP, uh, and it only came out in Japan. Like it didn't even come to America. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things I, that would definitely work for a forgotten character because it's a character that would be forgotten over here when it should have succeeded over here. Because like Jenny already said, you know, it was a kind of a predecessor for Guitar Hero and a bunch of the other rhythm games that really kind of took its place. You know. Yeah, I I, uh, I think uh, that would be a that that I just love that character so much, um, you know. And and once again, I, I'm, I'm stressing this is a this is we're living in fantasy world. But as I was told, it's if you could do anything, okay, right. And uh, and like these are characters I definitely want. Um, there's one type of game really left though. Okay, we've got a shooter, we've got a rhythm, we've got an RPG person, okay. Uh, and we've got, of course, our platformer with Gex, okay? But sports games are huge, okay? And so for me, getting a, a proper person for the sports game, uh, once again, it would be very difficult, okay? All right? 
But if you're going to talk about characters that were both forgotten and at the same time kind of hallowed among their community, um, the fact that people don't really think about Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl uh, is amazing to me, that there are people in the world that don't know about him. And if we could somehow get Bo Jackson in this thing, that would be amazing to me. Uh, are you all familiar at all with Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl? Like, I played you know, Tecmo Bowl when I was a kid, yeah. Okay, so in the first Tecmo Bowl, okay, there's a, you know, you know there's an option to play, um, you, you pick your team, okay, and you've basically got four plays. You've got a passing play, uh, you've got like a quarterback sneak play, you've got a run play, and you've got like your ability to punt or fill goal, depending on where you're at in football. Oh, by the way, Tecmo Bowl is a football game, uh, uh, if you don't know. Uh, and if you also if you don't know who Bo Jackson is. So in this game, Bo Jackson is so dominant, it's not even funny. Um, he literally, what you would do is you would do the run play of Bo Jackson, okay? He would shake off the first person that tackled him. And then if you were really not good, if you were just like had a, a general concept of how the NES worked, you would basically just run around in a circle on the football field and you could run out the entire game score one touchdown with Bo Jackson at, like, the two-second mark and then run out the entire game and really, really make your friends angry. <clears throat> and there was this really interesting cult that would happen among all of us at age six, seven, or eight where we would, um, we would know that, okay? And the first person that knew that could really bug their friends with it, okay? You know, and, and understanding how dominant Bo Jackson was uh, I, it, it's legendary. I mean, it really is. And, you know, and like the fact that, you know, I, the reason I bring him up is because I was working with somebody and they were talking about how OP a certain character uh, in uh, the new, in, in Injustice 2 was. And I mentioned also, it's like a Bo Jackson Tecmo thing. And they didn't know what I was talking about. And to me, that's just amazing. I understand it's been like 30, 35 years. But Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl is something that needs to be, you know, put on and, and hallowed among. I mean, Bo Jackson as a character should be up there with Mario and Link, in my opinion, because he's so dominant. <laughs> okay. uh, but he's, you know, it's just not, it's, words, it's, it's just not there. Okay. Um, so that's where you're at. Okay. Uh, so that's my, so that is my, that's my, um, that is my uh, grouping there. Okay. Um, actually right here, like, are, are, you know, are there, you know, are there, forgotten characters or characters that aren't as popular that I might have missed that you, you think might go in there? How about you, Jenny? Do it. You cut out. <laughs> um, are there any characters that you can think of that uh, would be a good addition to Josh's roster? Oh, um, oh, that's a good question. No, I can't think of any right now. It's a, it's an interesting question because uh, we're kind of, we're kind of actively in an era of video games where a lot of the older stuff um, are getting remasters and remakes or reboots or whatever it might be. So like while like 
because like a lot of the characters I'm thinking of right now, um, I have to kind of think twice about because I'm just like, oh, well, no, there was a Spyro. Yeah. <laughs> there was a Spyro remake and just like, oh, nope, there was a Crash Bandicoot remake. So, so yeah, it's an interesting question to really find those characters that that have actually been forgotten and not just have things in the works. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting idea, Josh. Um, I do have I a mean, question. Yeah, Jacob? I mean, the the you're, you're absolutely correct because, you know, the first one I was thinking about, and this, honestly, I blame Super Smash Brothers for this because there's so many character references in that game. Um, and if you haven't had a chance, you absolutely need to play that game because there are so many. Uh, the first, but the first thing I was thinking, I was like, he doesn't, he doesn't have a survival horror character, and the first one I thought of was the girl from Fatal Frame, but she's in Super Smash Brothers as the most off-putting assist trophy in the entire game. Yeah. Um, because there's like screams and the yeah. and the screen like starts like going black. Turned into a blue house picture for about five seconds. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that I mean, he'd probably be the first one I would think of. But like I said, he's been featured in a game pretty recently, so you know. But I'm sorry, Al, you, you go ahead. Um, no, no. Um, this is, um, since you bring up the um, survival horror um, genre, um, I would say if I had to add a character to your roster, um, I'd have to go back to the PlayStation Two era of Silent Hill games, and there was. There was a Silent Hill game that kind of snuck in. It had a really small release. Um, I think originally it just released on the PSP and then eventually had a port to PS2. But it was like just before the Silent Hill games started to get like really shitty. Um, But um, in, um, in Silent Hill Origins, the protagonist is a trucker named Travis Grady. And when I was playing that game when I was younger, I thought Travis Grady was the coolest dude in the world because he's the <laughs> only protagonist in Silent Hill games who can use his fists as weapons t- to hit and kill the Silent Hill monsters. Um, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world because, of course, that came out before Silent Hill Homecoming um, where you play, like, an ex-AV SEAL who has, like, a combat role and can do all kinds of crazy stuff and it is unkillable. But, um, but yeah, that was just the coolest thing. I feel like, I feel like him coming from the Silent Hill franchise, which already has, um, the kind of community that feels like it's been forgotten. Um, as well as just his game having kind of a weird halfway release. Um, I think that would fit if you were trying to add um, a survival horror um, genre character. Yeah, I think that'd be, I think that'd be, fantastic honestly you know and particularly to have a a world like that a survival horror world that you could put someone like gex in and just see what happens you know mm-hmm. so you have all these like you know demonic monsters that you know uh you know um have to do with like you know your repressed uh demons and feelings and then you just throw in like a gecko that says inappropriate things i think that'd be <laughs> hilarious honestly yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, and once again, like I said, the, the world around him is super serious. <laughs> yeah, though. yeah, exactly. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be about that. fantastic. You know, um, yeah. Okay, I got to reveal uh, my villain um, and uh, the storyline of the game. Essentially, the storyline I came up with, um, but the villain. So the villain comes from a very 
distinct place in my life. So I work at a place called the Money Tree, which is a um, secondhand place. And basically people come in, they sell us stuff, you know, we resell it. Um, in the time that I have been at the Money Tree, I have seen 25, I'm going to say roughly 25 to 30 Ataris, Atari 2600s, Atari 5200s come in. Okay. I have seen one of them work. Okay. <laughs> Literally like out of, out of all of them. And the problem is of course, is that with the Atari, you know, people just took it, stuck it in a closet and then it just would basically die, you know, whether from dry rotting of the board, you know, or I don't know what y'all know about Ataris, but the cord is actually attached to the Atari. So once that thing gets, mm-hmm chewed on by mice a few times you can't use it you know that kind of thing okay so there's a lot of reason atari dies okay but atari was the beginning of the video game boom you know in 1981 the atari was the video game boom okay with things like space invaders of course you had pac-man you had that tank game but for me the villain of this game has to be pitfall harry okay (laughs) has to be pitfall harry and here is why, okay? So the best villains have a fantastic backstory, all right? Well, here's the thing about Pitfall. I don't know anyone that's ever actually beaten Pitfall, okay? And what that means is that every single time someone has played Pitfall, Harry has found himself lost in a pit. That's how the game ends. You know, you are playing until there is a pit... You cannot jump over. And he is stuck in that pit. Okay? So what if, what if Pitfall Harry, okay, since 19, let's say, let's just be generous and say 1995, okay, that no one has played Pitfall on Atari since 1995, and Pitfall Harry has been stuck in the pit forever. And one day he decides... But now he's back. ...to crawl out of that pit, (laughs) okay, and take his revenge on all of the video games that have come after him that left him in that pit forever. I mean, basically what you have here, brothers and sisters, is the story of Bane in Dark Knight Rises, only it makes sense. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, that's what we're going for. All right. Yeah. And he crawls out and he decides that he's going to take back all the video games until the only thing you can play is Pitfall, which, by the way, would be a fate worse than death. Okay. Okay. So for me, that is is our is our villain. Okay. And the way he does it is he decides to hijack all these other games. Okay. And I don't. You'd have to come up with some kind of way that he's able to uh connect all these games okay you can do you know i mean the the you know one of the one things is you can do you can do anything with the internet okay so just be like the pitch of portals yeah oh yeah that's it yeah that's fine he's stuck down there he keeps falling (laughs) finally he (laughs) finds the right one he figures out the pit is important that'd be fantastic actually okay um and so like once my prison shall be my release you know so like so but with that okay you could pull from so many, I mean, there's thousands of video games that people have forgotten. Okay. And I realize there's a lot that are getting uh, remasters. Actually, the dragon from Panther Dragoon was literally on my list until Jake told me it had a remaster three days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh. like, you can pull. Thanks, Nintendo. 
Yeah, and yeah, and good job, Nintendo. Uh, you know, but like you could pull so many different uh, characters from different games. I mean, you could pull that random woman with the knife for Pit Fighter. I can't even remember her name. I mean, you guys don't know what Pit Fighter is, but Pit yep. Fighter was a digitized video game. It came out before Mortal Kombat, where you were literally in a pit and you were fighting. And one of them was a girl with a knife. She was the third person you took on. And everyone I know lost to that girl because she had a knife and you couldn't get the knife out of her hand. You could actually have her be one of the villains, you know, and just, you know, Pitfall Harry. He's like, hey, no one has played a Pit Fighter in 30 years. So why don't you come along, you know, and you be part of the game, you know, you help me take over, you know. You could just pull so many different characters like that where you could really create a murderer's role for Pitfall Harry, you know, uh, of just, you know, you know, find, you know, just a group of like anti-Avengers for Pitfall Harry that, you know, are trying to take games back because all they want is for their games to be played again. Can his henchmen just be the different people from Night Trap? You could have the, the crazy <laughs> vampires from Night Trap, okay? All right. Who who was a game that got banned. And so they're angry not only that they were on the 3DO and the Sega CD, but that their game got banned. Okay. And by the way, one of the villains could be the Sega CD itself. Okay. In fact, that'd be amazing, <laughs> honestly. Now I'm thinking about it. the way that he, uh, one of his weapons is a Sega CD. There you go. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic. Uh, in all honesty. Okay. But anyway, yeah, that's that's that is my that is my pitch for the video game. Uh, like I said, you know, they would pull different people from different worlds. Eventually, you know, you'd have this motley crew of characters, you know. And you could they they have to figure out, you know, how to take down um, Pitfall Harry. By the way, I, I forgot to mention this. Bo Jackson has to be pixelated. Uh, it has to be pixelated. <laughs> Bo Jackson. Uh, that just that just has to happen. Like like we can update everyone else except for him, kind of thing. No, you don't update any. Okay, that's another thing. You don't update anybody. Okay. okay. You, like you. That's the thing. That's 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 the fantastic thing about this uh, idea, in my opinion, is that. You know, with it being a celebration, we have the capabilities now to put these different types of graphics in games. Like, I'm playing Persona 5, you know, and like Jake's like, it's only a 35 gigabyte download. Why is that? Well, you know, and it's that's fair. You know, it's an anime-inspired game that literally has anime cutscenes in it. It's only 35 gigabytes. So we can do different types of graphical <clears throat> uh, achievements on these on these video games. Um, and put them, you know, put them into the game. And that way, that's another way of contrasting it. You know, you have, you know, IEG, you know, in his, in his, you know, PS1 days, you know, going after Aya Brea, you know, or going into the Parasite Eve world, you know, which is an RPG, you know, and just that different world, the way it looks, you know, we, we could, I mean, that's something that, that's capable to pull off. Um, I mean, Smash Bros. does it all day long on the Switch. I mean, every time you play <coughs> on Mr. Game & Watch's level, you're playing on a pixelated level, you know? Um, you know, and so, like, to me, that is, that's, that is, uh, that would be something that would make it really stand out and pop. Um, so, so, yeah. So that's my pitch. What do you guys think? What do you like? What do you dislike? You know, what would you change? Uh, Jenny, let's start with you. Um, I really, I really love it. I love the nostalgia feeling, um, and you know, it brings back a lot of memories that I didn't even know existed, to be honest. So, 
Um, I'm I'm all for it. Uh, Jacob, how about you, buddy? Uh, I I really like it, especially I liked it even more. Like you you already had me. It was it was like a nine. It was like a nine, and then when you said it was going to have like the different graphics in it, the because because the more I started thinking about that, like. <clears throat> Like how how interesting would it be? Because like you said, with the with the modern day graphics, we could make pixels look really really cool. Basically, yeah. you know. Um, and the thing is, it's like you basically have like the slow. Uh, you're you're playing through the history of video games at that point. You know, like you said, Bo Jackson would be pixelated. Um, you know, Gabe Logan could have the the nightmare fuel that is PS One fa- uh, face uh, graphics. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. And Gex could too, because like you could you could have Gex while you're playing as him look really weird, but then when it switches to the cutscenes, like they're like the early PS One ones, mm-hmm. where like they looked really good for for the time, you know. But then when it switched back to actually gameplay, the gameplay like the it's all like blocky and everything, you know. You could do a lot with that, and so yeah, no, I definitely I'm, I'm I'd be all on board, absolutely. Um, I uh. I love the idea. Um, it's something, something that strikes me as like, if this were to be a real project, um, if we were to put it like on Kickstarter, if we had the means to actually make this project real, um, if we were to put it on Kickstarter, it strikes me as the kind of thing that would get kickstarted overnight uh, because it has uh, the nostalgia appeal. Um, it um, it touches upon just like the the recesses of people who love video games it touches on like their innermost like thoughts and and fantasies with these old forgotten characters um because i feel like everybody has like an old forgotten game that they love um i do have a question though for you josh Um, okay and it relates um it relates to a series of games that I don't talk about very often, but um, I do love, especially the older ones. Um, but um, makes me think of the Sonic the Hedgehog games, um, especially in the last um, 10 years or so, basically since um, Sonic Generations, which a lot of people, and I agree, um, think that that was the last good Sonic game. Um and it's a criticism that especially is strong in the game Sonic Boom, where they said that it felt like the game was trying to be so many things that it didn't a lot enough focus to be good at any one of them. And it was just kind of okay in everything it tried to be. Because at Sonic Boom, it was trying to be side-scroller, it was trying to be an on-the-rails kind of runner, it was trying to be a, an action-adventure game and things like that. Um, so my question to you is, what would you do to kind of prevent that syndrome from touching your game? And what kind of things would you do to kind of uh, discourage the, those assumptions about it? Yeah, so, so the, the, that, that, that is the thought. So like you don't want to have uh, – really, really, I, I, I take into account something like uh, – the game I actually think of is like Grand Theft Auto 4. And the reason I say that is this, okay? Grand Theft Auto 4 is so huge and wants to be so many different things that's really bad at certain things. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. bad at just, like, walking, 
it's bad at sometimes. <laughs> uh, but like it had all these like mini games. It had like darts and bowling uh, that were like these really like budget versions of the of what you would want those games to be. Now Grand Theft Auto Five fixed that, as far as I'm concerned. Grand Theft Auto Five might have one of the best you know golfing simulators ever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that 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 to me was was my fear is not wanting to do the Grand Theft Auto Four thing. But I think what would make it stand out, and you know what would make it, uh, what would give us a little leeway as far as like so we don't have to, you know, be the master of everything. So we don't have to have the perfect uh, platformer. You don't have to have the perfect fighter. Is the fact that the gist of the game is the idea of like putting someone in a different setting. So that gives you an opportunity to play with that and makes it stand out. So, for example, so like let's say you put Bo Jackson in Toshinden's <laughs> setting, okay? All right. Well, he's not going, Bo Jackson in, in Tech Mobile is not going to, you're not going to be inputting, uh, you know, combos for Bo Jackson from Tech Mobile. You're not going to do that. So you have to figure out a way to make, you know, Bo Jackson in the fighting game you know, make that interesting, you know, whether it's just like, you know, he has to figure out a way to either a just straight up run from him, you know, and so it becomes something a little different than just a fighting game where he has to figure out a way to take him down with what he knows, which is basically running over people, <laughs> you know, as Bo Jackson. Um, so that to me would be, it, 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 it wouldn't be so much if you're, or at least for me, it wouldn't be so much if you're creating a, a platformer and then a fighting game and then an RPG and then a, you know, survival horror game and then a sports game as it is that you're trying to find a way to take a character from a fighting game and figure out what they would do in a platformer. To me, that is the challenge. Um, Because if you can do that for one, you should probably be able to do that for all of them. In the sense that you know you're you're thinking outside the box as far as um, you know putting together a, a game that honestly really probably hasn't even been seen before. So like so how, how would Aiji who you know who doesn't have a double jump for example you know how would he work in a platformer? What would he have to do you know in order to make that work? And in that sense, there's almost a sense of it you know not I'm thinking but almost sense of you know it, it almost just being a straight up. Uh, you know, doesn't have to always be this, but like a, almost a puzzle game in a sense that you're trying to figure out, you know, what would it be for Aegi to get through a platforming level? Like, what would that take? You know, he has the ability to throw fireballs. He's got a sword. You know, uh, he has a kick uh, that's like a split, you know. Uh, so, like, how would he navigate that? Um, and so, you know, if, like I said, I mean, and a lot of this, course, comes down to, you know, our abilities to... Um, do that in a proper way okay um but i think that that's you know the the fact that you're trying to do something different um even if you're not creating the perfect platformer uh the fact that it's something completely different from that should give you a little leeway to play around with with what people are expecting and that's the other thing is like you you know you you don't want to get penciled in on that or like put into a box because that's one of the things you're trying to do here with this game, you know, is like, what, what does it mean when you take this type of character and put it in this situation? Um, I think the problem of like Sonic Boom, of course, is like, you know, it, it is, it is, you know, all these mini games, 
but they never they never really go beyond mini games. You know, like you've got a snowboarding game, you've got the weird basketball one. Uh, I can't remember what else you got, but like you've got you know all these like mini games, and they never really go beyond that. This is a game that's that if it's done well, it should be built properly. You know, on the idea of you know putting all that together and making it you know so different that it seems like a cohesive game just from how different it is if that makes sense you know i don't know if that makes sense or not honestly but that that that's how i see it uh, no no i think that does i think that makes a lot of sense very nice very nice um all right um that is about time for your first idea which i think was very excellent um it was not what i was expecting at all which is great uh, i love it um Josh, if you're good, would you like to go into your um, your film idea? Oh, I would love to go into my film idea. Uh, Jake, I guess, saw, uh, saw something of of what I was uh, uh, looking up um, because I wanted to be right on all the names. There was one name I had forgotten, uh, so I wanted to be right on the names on this. Um, but so there is a there is a uh, an 80s IP that is near and dear to my heart. Um, so what what I will tell you is this, okay, is that growing up, I was a, I've always been a huge fan of music, uh, just in general. I mean, music, you know, our, our mother was a, used to be a singer in a traveling band, so music was a huge part of our lives, I mean, from the moment we were born. And so, you know, something, some of the first things I remember you know, attaching myself to our guitars and, and keyboards and and drums and just, you know, just being fascinated by all that stuff. Uh, you know, I have a, uh, it's actually in the room we're in, you know, I have a, a guitar print that have basically had my entire life, uh, you know, and it's just, it's just something that's been a part of me. Well, the, in the 80s, there was a lot of, not only fantastic music, okay, but there was also a, a certain cartoon that was built around music, um, and it's called Jim and the Holograms. Now, here's the thing, okay? Before I do this pitch, part of this pitch is forgetting that the first Jim movie ever happened, the one that came out in 2015, <laughs> something like that. Okay, all right. It never... I'm sorry, it hurt you. It never, ever happened, okay? It did not happen, all right? Uh, the first Jim movie, and like they shouldn't even call it that because it's not. It's essentially just, it's like I don't know, like Camp Rock. Or, I, I mean, it, 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 there's no, there's, there's nothing to it. Okay, it's really just a person wants to be a rock star, and they become a rock star uh, by living two different lives, which is basically isn't that like Miley Cyrus's show? So like, it, I mean, it's basically what it was. Okay, yeah, that's just Hannah Montana. <laughs> Was at all. That's Hannah Montana. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. That's Hannah Montana after Hannah Montana was already a thing. I, I can't believe they yeah, got away exactly. with that. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. Okay. That is not what Jim of the holograms is at all. Okay. Uh, keyword there being holograms. Okay. Holograms are very, very important to Jim and the holograms. Okay. So Jim and the holograms, okay, for the for the uninitiated, if I have to do this, okay, and I'm just assuming, I think Jenny knows some stuff, 
Jake knows some stuff because he lives with me, so I talk about it all the time. Solid by proxy. Okay. All right, Al, you probably don't know that much about it. Okay. All I right. do not so, at all. Okay, so Jim and the Holograms was a was a cartoon uh, was a cartoon television show. It ran for three and a half seasons, a uh, bunch of episodes, about seventy five episodes. Um, you know, just and it basically what it was is that Garrica Benton. Okay, so first and foremost. Let's just enjoy that name, Jerrica Benton, okay? Jerrica Benton's father owns Starlight Music, which is a recording company, okay? And also owns a place called Starlight House, uh, which is a boarding house for essentially, uh, they don't say it in the, in the 80s, but essentially for, it's almost like a halfway house, is essentially what it is, okay? And... Jerrica's father dies suddenly, and she inherits everything. She inherits Starlight Music, and she inherits Starlight House. The problem, though, is that when she inherits Starlight Music, there is this power, this this uh, takeover that's getting ready to happen at Starlight Music, where this evil record exec, okay, wants to take over Starlight Music and turn it into a music studio that just makes money. Isn't that horrific? That's horrible, okay? All right? Mm. And the problem is that essentially Jerrica's for it, but the problem is that within the will that Jerrica has, if she gives up her power at Starlight Music, she also gives up Starlight House as well. And she doesn't know what to do. So she goes to Starlight House one day, and she realize, and she gets she had been given this pair of earrings, and when she puts on these earrings, it opens up a secret door in Starlight House, and she meets a hologram AI named Synergy. And Synergy has the power to, with power of holograms, the power to transform a person into something else using holograms. So since Jerrica is a very good singer, she decides the way to do both make money for Starlight Music and keep Starlight House is a starter own band called Jim and the Holograms. But uh, it'd be a conflict of interest if Jerrica started her own band, so she has to be a... She has to keep it secret. So she becomes Jim. And that is where all types of heck breaks loose. Because the evil record exec had signed a different group, a group called the Misfits, which were basically the Sex Pistols as girls. It is so fantastic. The first time they show up, they are on motorcycles that look like guitars. It is fantastic, okay? <laughs> and they signed a, they signed this group called The Misfits, led by this horrible, horrible, horrible girl named Pizzazz. And Pizzazz is a rich chick who essentially wants to become a star. And she does it the only way she knows how, by making this hardcore, aggressive music, okay? And when I say hardcore, I mean hardcore for the 80s. So, like, really still pop music, but fan, but just great, okay? Here's where things get amazing, okay? The way the, 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 the feud between Jim and the Holograms and the Misfits essentially starts turning into a thing where the Misfits will literally try to murder Jim and the Holograms on basically an episode-by-episode -episode basis, 
Okay. <laughs> and we're talking like the first thing they do, okay, is they like uh uh like they try to drop like the, a light fixture on them, like when they're on stage. It's fantastic. Okay. Like that, that's the first thing they do. And the best part about it is they, they keep get, getting away with it. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's so great. They keep getting away with it because they're super powerful rock stars and we let powerful rock stars get away with anything. So, sure. so of course that is, that's your, that's your general premise of the show. Okay. And the movies you got, you probably have to tweak that a little bit, but not as much as you think. Uh, thematically, uh, as far as themes go <clears throat> for Jim and the holograms, uh, you definitely be wanting to look at two two different themes, okay? That that have to uh, go throughout the entire movie. Uh, for me, uh, I guess I should explain this. For me, a movie has to have a theme, okay? There has to be something like if you ask somebody what this movie is about, they have to be able to tell you, even if it's just a random theme, like you know, like you know, Jason. You know, it's like, well, what's it? What's it about? Well, it's about a guy who kills a bunch of people. Okay, that that's still a theme. For me, the theme, though, if you want to go a little deeper and make it into something that's not just a, you know, uh, well, not just the first Jim movie. Um, if you want to go a little deeper, you can have two separate themes, and they both revolve around the things that Jerrica inherits. So first, the first theme is the concept of what does it mean to be a musician and an artist in this day and age? So one of the things that there's a fantastic fantastic comic book series from IDW uh, that you should check out. Uh, and it's it's really, really awesome. What they did was they updated it was the concept that the first thing that Garrick has to overcome is, well, how do I become famous if I don't have the backing of the record studio? Because even though she owns a record studio, no one wants to sign her because no one knows who this gym is. Well, she puts her song on YouTube and it becomes famous. And so they do this whole viral marketing thing. So the theme of like, how do you become a musician in this day and age, I think will be really interesting because it's not really something that's explored, even in a movie like Once or even in a movie like Begin Again, where they, you know, at the end of Begin Again, I don't really want to spoil this because you should watch that movie. But so at the end of Begin Again, you know, they released all the music uh, online um for free that they've done and it just randomly becomes famous but there's no real like marketing for it that i can remember of that's just something that happens that you assume happens which is fine because that's not what the movie's about anyway but part of this movie would oh, be actually, like how do you become uh, yes please correct me on that because i can't remember uh CeeLo green tweets about it oh and he has all those followers remember? i'm sorry my bad <laughs> that's not relevant that I is just the that is the best part of this podcast so podcast far. Podcast is now over. We can no longer <laughs> we can. proceed yeah. because we have forgotten about CeeLo Green. We forgot about CeeLo Green <laughs> tweeting about it. Okay. All right. Well, and, okay. All right. I know all that right. he has two words for us. Okay. If we can all forget right. about him again. That's all, all I right. got to say about that. Okay. All right. With apologies to the power of CeeLo Green. Okay. <laughs> there is more to our marketing than just getting a tweet from CeeLo Green. Okay. Um, you know, signs to support that. <laughs> okay, well, here, here's my sign to support that. Okay, which this is, I don't even want to mention. There's a there's a person that Jenny hates in the music industry. Okay, okay. that she hates more than okay. anyone. Okay. okay, that person one time, that person one time tweeted about David Mead, and as far as I know, David Mead is no more famous than he was, 
you know, when that person tweeted about him. So there is more to viral marketing than just like a tweet. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love, but go see Beginning End. It's a fantastic movie. Great movie. And go see Once if you haven't seen that. But both those movies are more about making the music than they are about the idea of marketing the music. And if you own a record studio or a record company, you know, uh, or a music studio or whatever, marketing is an essential part of it. So that could be something that's an interesting thing. You know, how do you market this is it from an underground standpoint? You know, when you don't have the power to get pushed, let's say, you know, someone like Beyonce does or someone like, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, whoever. CeeLo Green. CeeLo Green, yeah. Green. Someone like that, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, and that, and that could be one of the conflicts. You know, the misfits are getting pushed. Uh, because, you know, they are the, you know, the darlings of music uh, of this, you know, record company. At the same time, um, you know, Jim and Holograms are not. So they have to be more underground about it. That, to me, could be interesting. The other thing that you have at the same time, though, you know, uh, that once again, the comic book did a fantastic job of showing is the fact that Starlight House is a halfway house. And most of the most of the morals from the from the eighties cartoon, because in the eighties cartoons had morals. I don't know if y'all knew that. Okay. Um, they they did they, 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 that. There was a moral point to cartoons in the eighties, uh, you know, and there was a reason behind things uh, that happened. And so most of the morals in in Jim and the holograms revolved around the fact that these girls at this halfway house we're looking for a place to be, um, you know, a place, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it gets to the point, of course, you know, uh, you know, there, there's some ridiculous stuff that happens, you know, one of them tries to join the misfits at one point, you know, and like the, basically the misfits are just using them so that they, so that they can cut the uh, brake line in the Jim and the Holograms van, uh, which would kill Jim and the Holograms. I don't know. It's, it's weird, but, but like there was a, but there was a push and pull there. So the other theme of this <clears throat> in Starlight would be revolving around Starlight House and what it means, uh, you know, to own this this place as well. Um, that's really important to the community, um, an important place in the community, a place where, uh, you know, people can go, uh, mainly girls can go when they don't have a place to go anymore. Um, and, you know, living in Owensboro, there's a bunch of places like that. You know, I'm not saying we have to get as dark as, you know, the, uh, you know, the abused women's shelter that we have in, you know, here in Owensboro. But at the same time, you know, that that kind of place is something that is popping up in cities all across the country, um, you know, that is necessary because, you know, women just don't have in in America. They at this point they don't have as many the ability to uh, you know get away from bad situations like men do, and so something that could you know talk about that uh, and talk about you know the um, shall we say the uh, authority is not the word, but the the ability you know for someone like you know Jerrica to rise above her station that kind of thing. Uh, to me, that's very important uh, for this movie. So thematically, that's what you've got. Um, and then, of course, you know, it goes without saying you have to get people. So like the cartoon, best thing about the cartoon is every single cartoon had two music videos in it. Two like minute and a half music videos. One for Jim and the Holograms and one from the Misfits. 
every single cartoon, which was actually kind of impressive for the day. Sure. Um, that you could have that many uh, different songs that were written and everything. Um, and so you would have to get, you know, a really, you know, kicking songwriter. Uh, and, you know, so you could have some real, really great bops on this uh, on this movie. On that note, do you have someone in mind? Uh, you know, I really, I really don't. I mean, um, you know, and I, I really, you know, I, I thought about casting for a bit, but I really don't have anybody in mind for cast. I mean, I've, I gotta be honest. I think, I honestly think, and I think she'd have a ball. For, I think Anna Kendrick would be a fantastic pizzazz. Once again, I, if, I, if, I, what'd you say? I was about to say her. Yeah, I think she'd be a great pizzazz because she's got great comic timing and pizzazz is hilarious. Because I mean, she's a she's a rich chick uh, once again who is just like very very angry, okay, and a lot and 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 she's she's a diva she's a diva rock star, so like, she's like a punk rock diva. So I mean, like I mean, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to do this, but like you, you, it, it would almost be like a Courtney Love scenario is what you have. You know, and uh, what I, you know, might be, I, once again, I'm showing my age, I might be too old for you guys. But anyway, but of course, but it, it'd be something like that. And, uh, yeah, you know, and I think Anna Kendrick would kill that role. As far as who would play Jim, I have no clue. I have no idea. When I get an unknown. I well, mean, like, yeah, I mean, the unknown would be, you know, perfect. But I mean, I, I would really like, you know, someone that, uh, you know, has the ability to, uh, to, to me, it'd be very important for them to have the ability to play music. Sure. Uh, you know, um, if I can, oh, if I can throw a person out there just from hearing about uh, this idea and kind of the character behind it, um, um, I think Zendaya, um, could potentially be a really good fit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does she sing? Yes. Oh, my oh, yeah. God. You haven't seen Greatest Showman. I forgot about that. Holy crap. I haven't. Yeah. I've never seen that. So, yeah. So, yeah. I think he'd be... I think, yeah. That'd be perfect, honestly. You know? Um, that's another thing, by the way. So, one other thing I love about Jim and the Hologram, um, you know, is that... Uh, and this is, this is going to come up as well with my last thing. Um, one of the reasons that it actually took me... Uh, and I think took a lot of people my age a long time to realize or, you know, um, realize that there needs to be more diversity in, um, in just in media, essentially, is because there were there were some really good cartoons where they did. It was just diverse and they didn't even talk about it. And the thing is, is like in Jim and the Hologram, every single person in that, uh, just off the top of my head, there's three there's four uh, between the two bands only for, between the two bands, which has 10 members apiece. Four of them are white women. Okay. Uh, which is Jerrica and Kimber and then Pizzazz and Stormer are white. Um, and then, you know, like it's, it's, you know, you've got Aja and you've got Lakeith, uh, you know, who are uh, in, in Jim and the holograms. <clears throat> and then you have Roxy uh, who, um, I wrote. I, you have Roxy, who um, I think is probably probably in the in probably Asian, and then you've got Lakeith and uh, Aja, who are African American, Asian, respectively. I mean, it was it was a show that just didn't even mention it. And I realize once again, 
I know what they were doing because I have to state this as well. Uh, they they had a line of dolls, okay? And so, I mean, the point of this was to sell a doll to everybody, and I get that. Um, but that kind of diversion... Nothing wrong with that. I mean, <laughs> but, 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 but that kind of diversity just was something that just popped up with them. Um, and, I'm, and I'd like to say they were ahead of their time on that, but once again, the other thing I'm going to talk about, which is also an 80s, uh, an 80s throwback, you know, was another, you know, one of the reasons I really liked, you know, or looking back on them, realize it stands out is because it was just how it was, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, Zen, Zendaya, I think, yeah, or uh, Zendaya is, or is it, am I saying that right? Zendaya, Zendaya, I can't, I can't. How do you say it? How do you say that? Um, as far as I know, it's in Zendaya, but I could be wrong. Okay. I could easily be wrong. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, I think I think she'd be perfect, particularly if she sings, you know, and uh, and she's just and that's the right perfect day too because she's about what twenty something like that. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but she's around the same age as Tom Holland, so we're like early twenties. Okay. Okay. I mean, yes, that's it's the it's the right perfect age, you know, and uh, I, I I think she'd be perfect. Yeah, I mean I, that that so there, there's my there's my dream casting. Uh, Zendaya as Jerrica and Anna Kendrick as Pizzazz. Uh, let's let's that let's make that happen. That would be that I that, that would be all my dreams. All my I would you know I would probably die of happiness just from that alone. Yeah. Uh. So so yeah. And of course you you fill out uh you know the rest of the band. I, I don't want to turn it into a, a Josie and the Pussycat scenario. I'd really like to get musicians. Uh, to fill that out. That's one of the reasons why Anna Kendrick and Zendaya are so perfect is because they're both, uh, you know, I know Anna Kendrick's a classically trained singer. I don't know about Zendaya, but apparently she does sing. Um, but I would like to get, you know, actual musicians uh, to play, you know, and to, and to pull these uh, songs off. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, questions, comments, disagreements? Uh, Jacob, let's uh, start with you this time. Um, any okay. any comments on the on the very pleasant surprise that Jim and the holograms is <laughs> on this podcast? Um, I mean, I uh, one, I kind of I I figured this was coming somewhere of the three. You know, like if if he had told me Jim and the holograms uh, rhythm based video game, I would have been like, "Yep, I saw it coming." Can I change <laughs> my first one then? I didn't know yeah, that no, was no, a possibility. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> That would be so amazing. Get get the movie tie in. Exactly. But but no, I I really like the idea. I I, I really, I love the idea that you want to bring bring a an old uh, property back. But don't just do it as like it's a cash grab. Don't just do it as just like it's the exact same thing as what we saw in the 80s. It is something that you, you make it modern, but you don't take away from it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because, because like like you said with the first one, I never even saw the first one, um, you know. Well, the first I, one, I got to state this. I haven't seen it either. But the first one doesn't have synergy in it. Like that was one of the first things they said about it. And if you don't have the concept of the holograms in Jim and the Holograms, it's not Jim and the You're holograms. Really taking out something from the title. Exactly. So, you know, the concept of, of the holograms is very important. You know, I mean that that's an important part of it. Hmm. Um, 
you know, so to me, that's, that's, uh, that's necessary. Mm. Well, I, I still, I, I really like that you want to kind of focus on this idea of marketing, you know, with, no, with, no, within, um, within the music industry, because like you said, in this modern world, you know, I mean, we could, we could type in, you know, singer songwriter on YouTube right now mm-hmm. and, and just get hundreds, if not thousands of people that, you know, some just now getting started, they problem, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the best they can, but then you, you find some that you're like, why is this person not on the radio? Why, why is this person not, you know, headlining something, you know, yeah. they, they have it, you know, and that aspect is something that'd be, that'd be really cool to focus on. And of course, I mean, I, I love, I love the idea that it is a film entirely focused on, you know, what, like, like you said, you know, women, you know, being, being strong and do, and, you know, really kind of doing uh, having, you know, a good amount of female empowerment as well as the diversity of the, of the different females in, in the group and everything. Um, I, I fully support it. I, I love everything about that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of singer songwriters on YouTube. I will say this that are very good that just not have not had the ability to have CeeLo Green tweet about them yet. That is true. Yeah, you know, he's 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 got to be careful about that. Yeah, you, know? you, you can't put his neck out for everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Jenny, how about you? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I do have to ask. Like, is do you think? You'll get CeeLo Green for the movie. Like, is that a thing? You know, CeeLo Green. Here's like CeeLo Green fits the aesthetic of Jim and the Holograms perfectly. <laughs> I mean, he really does. Like, I, and and once again, if if you don't know who what Jim and the Holograms is, there's all types of their music videos from the '80s on uh, YouTube. And by the way, if, if you're a comic head, the amount of people that wrote for this thing—I mean, Marv Wolfman wrote several several episodes. I was wondering if you were going to mention. I mean, that, Mar- yeah. Marv Wolfman of "I Invented the New Teen Titans" fame. Marv Wolfman of "I Created Starfire and Raven" fame. Okay. Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> yeah, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay, like he wrote several of the episodes for Jim and the Holograms, and you know, so like if you know, if you just think like I'm just like being weird, you know, which I am, obviously. But like, I mean, this is this was a fantastic uh, '80s show, and 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 to your point, CeeLo Green fits that aesthetic so much. Like, I don't like. I honestly, he'd be perfect as evil record exec. He really would. <laughs> he would. Uh, you know, like like um, yeah, exactly. Like make 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 him the evil record exec. You know, that would be fantastic. Yeah. You know, yeah. just this bombastic <laughs> evil record exec. You know, that would be great. But no, like, I, I really do. I love it. Uh, one of my earliest memories is uh, the Jim theme song, you know, Truly Outrageous, whatever. Uh, I wasn't into it as much as you. I was a little young. But, you know, that's literally, like, that song is stuck with me for literally no reason. Like, I'll just be at work, and that will, like, pop in my head. And I'm like, why? Like, um, so I, I, I love it. It's a really good idea. Um, it, it'd be cool to see a female-led, uh, you know, project like that in this day and age with the talent we have now. So yeah, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Um, as, as somebody who, who before tonight has never even heard of Jim and the holograms, that's something that flew completely under my radar. Um, um, I like the idea a lot. Um, um, I like, um, I think that the whole idea behind it, the idea of exploring like, what it means to be 
a singer-songwriter, you know, in 2020, uh, what it means to um, be successful in the industry, what it means to, you know, have integrity in the industry and things like that. Um, I think those are those are all ideas that um, have aged uh, very, very well. Um, I, I think, if anything, they're more relevant um, now than ever, just because of uh, the definition and the concept of a singer songwriter and a musician have um, have just changed over the years, um, just inherently with the industry. Um, and so I think exploring that would be really, really cool. Um, uh, I do have to say, again, not having seen the cartoon or read the comics or anything like that, um, this feels like the kind of thing that would thrive on being like very over the top. Am I right on that? Or do you have a different idea? Oh yeah. No, I mean, that? that's fair. I mean like the, yeah, the theme song is Jim. Jim is truly outrageous. That's the first line you hear. <laughs> so you'd, it have to be truly outrageous. It would have to be uh, in order for it to be Jim. I think that's another reason why I don't like the movie is this from the trailers. You can tell it's a very, I don't like using this word, but a very vanilla production, essentially just like very bland, like just, yeah, very, yeah. Just like, you know, we're just kind of doing this. Hey guys, here's three girls we found, you know, they're in a band now, you know, let's do this, you know? And like, you just tell it was just thrown together just to be a, uh, just to be a, you know, well, this is a property we have. No one's done anything with for a long time. Um, and you know, part of the issue is once again, I mean, the idea of being over top when you're, you're, you're literally discussing a band that is powered by an AI that can produce holograms. <laughs> so, you know, you can't, you can't really dial that back. Uh, mm. you know, gotcha. Um, I have a s second question for you as well. So, um, so presuming that this whole hypothesis uh, behind this the podcast series is real say that like you were given the reins on this film as far as writing and producing it let's say that um is there a director that comes to mind that you would want to get um to kind of oversee this um or or would you want to direct or or anything like that <laughs> no i wouldn't uh i mean well yeah sure yeah i'll, I'll direct it why not no um I you, know, you know who... Okay, Jen, here's your suggestion. Uh, the dude that uh, did uh, Thor Ragnarok. Taika Waititi? Taika Waititi. Yes. Taika yeah. Waititi? I, yeah. Okay. I, uh, I really... Uh, he, he, would, he would be... Um, he, yeah, he, he is, he, he would, he'd have the general concept. Um, so Thor Ragnarok's basically an 80s movie anyway. Right, um, that's why I was like, ooh. So... So, uh, but also Thor Ragnarok is also a very uh, visually strong movie. Um, I was I would say Thor Ragnarok is not a very good movie from a plot perspective, but it's a very visually strong movie. Uh, yeah, and I mean yeah, the plot's okay. I just I just feel like they wasted Kate Blanchett in that movie. It just bugs me. But um, it's a different podcast. But, but from a visual standpoint, it's it's pretty fantastic. Uh, Taika Waititi's a, a good director, a good weird director anyway, and definitely someone that you could give, just be like, hey, we need this movie to be outrageous, uh, so don't hold <laughs> back, okay, you know, on visuals and stuff like that. Um, 
I, but I tell you another one that another another guy that came to mind just because I like um, his his ideas of having thematic be, being strong thematically without uh, being overbearing with it, in my opinion, or at least having a uh, clever way of sneaking those things in there in a way that you don't think it's going to happen is Ryan Johnson. Um, I don't think he'd ever touch it with a 10 foot pole. I don't <laughs> think he'll ever touch a, I, I, I don't think he'll touch a fandom thing again with a 10 foot pole. Mm. Um, and I don't blame him, but, uh, but if you, you know, the problem with him is I don't think he'd be outrageous enough, but the theme, the theme that you're going for, um, I think he'd be very good at. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think Taika Waititi would probably be, <laughs> probably be about as good as anyone. Um, yeah, I think, I think that'd be, I think that'd be pretty fantastic. Um, Patty Jenkins would be good too. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I really, uh, I think Patty Jenkins would be a pretty, pretty fantastic, uh, uh, director of that. Well, probably, I mean, honestly, after... After we see her do one of eighty four, which is an eighties movie, someone you know, we'll so I, I, I don't even I don't want to say this, I, I don't want to say this, okay? But someone that hasn't had the chance to direct that everyone says needs to direct and was actually kicked off a of Toy Story four, uh, but like I think it'd be perfect just because of who her dad is and how she grew up is Rashida Jones. I think Rashida Jones this would be a oh. really good first point for that the problem with that is Rashida Jones is like Jenny's playing Jenny's least two favorite characters uh in the history of television she herself is a bad yeah I mean do you know you know I mean I don't know so that's true she wouldn't be on screen that's fair that's fair yeah that's fair okay yeah but no, but I, I think uh, you know she's she's uh, someone that says she wants to direct. Uh, her dad's okay. I'm sorry if you don't know. Her dad's Quincy Jones, so mm. Quincy Jones of you know Michael Jackson, uh, you know producer fame. Uh, Quincy Jones of just like you know I mean a famed record producer. He's kind of lost his mind recently. You know saying things like the Beatles are overrated stuff like that. But still a genius. Um, so and she grew up, you know in the 80s, you know, around Quincy Jones, around Michael Jackson and things like that. So I think she'd be a uh, I think she'd be a good a good choice. Um, if I can offer um, another suggestion or idea for director as well. Um, how would you feel about um, Elizabeth Banks? Um, I um really 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 hated the Power Rangers movie um so she directed I thought she did she not direct that one I knew she directed the new Charlie's Angels I didn't know she directed Power um, is new Charlie's Angels good I will check uh, the Power Rangers director real quick I am uh, I am the fact checker tonight um okay one second, everybody. Here's here's the here's the interesting thing about Elizabeth Banks, who is someone that I and I understand where she's coming from. I understand why she said this. Okay, but when the when the Charlie's Angel movie came out, 
she put out this tweet that said essentially mm -hmm. if this yep. movie is not successful it proves that men won't go see a woman action movie and um that is not the problem with uh the charlie's angels movie i mean i haven't seen it but in my opinion the problem with charlie's angels is that the new movie literally came out what eight years after the last one did nine ten years after the last one did so like it's not even it's it's barely a reboot um you know plus like yeah you know, I, I don't know but like to me that's a I, I, <laughs> that that's that's a cheap way of of trying to get people to come see your film in my opinion um and and i mean genial you know probably back me up on this i i you know i i very very you know, don't don't like the concept of like having men only movies. Uh, you know, I think it's I think it's shameful that it took that long to get a Wonder Woman movie. Uh, I think it's even more shameful it took that long to get a Captain Marvel movie. Even more shameful than that that's taken this long to get a Black Widow movie. Mm. But um, yeah, I just I don't know that that attitude. You know, did you do did you did you find out who did Power Rangers? Um. It Yes, I have that pulled up. Um, she did not direct Power Rangers. Um, Power Rangers was directed by Dean Israelite. Okay. Which I'm unfamiliar well, with other stuff he's done. I am too. That movie's horrific. Um, um, he did... He Okay, he also did Project Almanac. What a weird house of films he's done. Um, <laughs> yeah. Strange, strange, what a strange person. The, the last thing, so Elizabeth Banks as a director, she's got a couple of movies that are coming out. Um, but of course, she did Charlie's Angels. Uh, before this, uh, before that, she did Pitch Perfect 2. And then she did her segment for Movie 43. So Well, Movie 43 we're going to forget well, because that because was... Like, James Gunn is on that. And yeah. it's not, I mean, there, there's a everybody, lot of... Yeah, like every, everybody. Pitch Perfect 2 is not bad. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it's, it's not a bad movie. Uh, actually, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I don't think any of the Pitch Perfects, you know, rise to the uh, occasion of how good the music is in Pitch Perfect. Uh, but Pitch Perfect Two is not bad, you know. It's and uh, I mean, if and that would be a, you know, it once again to be a similar aesthetic to what I would want, you know, uh, Jim and the Holograms to be. So maybe I don't know. I mean, I just I don't know that that yeah. that like I said that. That I don't like judging people based on their tweets, but that one did bug me. <laughs> that one yeah. just like that just seemed key to me, yeah. you know. Um, uh -oh. If you're, I feel like if if you're, I feel like the fact that you know Captain Marvel made three billion dollars, you know, should prove the idea that somebody's going to go see a woman action film, you mm. know. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. The reason that um, Elizabeth Banks had come to mind was. Um, one, I knew that she had had done Pitch Perfect, to so she had done like a musical kind of comedy before, um, and also just in general she has um, a background in comedy um, as well. So that would, those are just the reasons that she had um, come to mind during the discussion. But um, um, yeah, um, anybody else have any final comments on on Josh's idea for Gem and the Holograms? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm all I'm all in. I'm for it. Yeah, same. Yeah, same. I mean, yeah, like uh, Josh, you are you are always just chock full of surprises because um, 
Um, again, I ha I had never even heard of Jam and the Holograms uh, before tonight, and you have you have presented it to me in a way that like I would I would be there opening night if this thing was <laughs> <laughs> if this thing was advertised to me. Like I'd be all about it. Um, well, once again, if, if you if you haven't heard of it, just at least check it out on YouTube. It's 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 uh it's really fun. It really is. <clears throat> all right. Um. So we have arrived at um. Your last uh, thing, Josh, your last hype thing that you would want to make. So would you like to go into that? Yeah, uh, surprises are ending right now. Uh, there are no, this one is not a surprise for anybody. <coughs> um, the only thing that might be a surprise of it is the uh, medium I want to use. Okay, but uh, you cannot hand me a microphone and say, Josh, talk about favorite things. Without GI Joe, a real American hero coming up. I was waiting uh, for GI Joe. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no way uh, that 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 is not going to come up. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I could have I, I could have just been really annoying and done all three of these uh, for from a GI Joe standpoint uh, because I want a new show, <laughs> I want a movie, because I could, yeah, because I could have done that, um, but I but I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to leave it at this, okay. Uh, G.I. Joe was a great TV show, and it was a, it's, it's in my opinion, the best toy line ever, okay? Um, but it was really before all that, uh, although Toy Line came out at the same time as this, it was a fantastic comic book. Um, probably one of the most underrated comics. Uh, there's 151 uh, issues written by Larry Hama. Mm -hmm. Uh, one man. Okay, Larry Hama wrote 151 of these issues. 155 is it 55? 155, yeah. Okay, 155 issues written by one guy. Uh, tells one linear story all the way through. Okay, um, really ahead of its time um, because of just the sheer breadth of characters he had to use. Um, so if you don't know, Diego just from the toy line has over 250 characters in it. Um, 250, you know, distinct characters. Um, and then on top of that, you've got the different vehicles, the bases, all that stuff, all these things he had to incorporate into the comic. Um, and so it's, it's a really underrated comic book. If you're looking for something to do during the quarantine, you got a comiXology or something like that. Uh, you know, Read some of the old G.I. Joe comics. They're fantastic, okay? Some of the best stuff I've ever read. Um, you know, and of course, it, it, and then there is one classic comic, uh, the silent issue, which is even, a, even if you're not a G.I. Joe fan, most people have heard of the silent issue, which is really the issue that made Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow into what they are. Um, so my concept, though, is to relaunch the comic. And here's why. The comic has been relaunched a few times. In fact, there's still a version of the comic that's written by Larry Hama where he just picked up where he left off at 155. Um, but since then, the comic has been relaunched a few times. I think every single time it's been a bit underwhelming. Uh, there's been some high points. There's been some pretty darn low ones, too. Um, and so, for me, the comic that I'm presenting, okay, all right, uh, my proposal is this, okay? Is that the comic book that right at the beginning we state it's going to run for 10 years. So you got a 10 year comic book run, okay? 
At year three, it splits into three comics. Each comic will produce 12 comics a year plus two annuals a year. So here's here's what I've come come to. 144 of the G.I. Joe main comics, 84 of the two other G.I. Joe comics, and 44 annuals. So right off the bat, you know, like, I, like you said, if you're saying, you know, this is a fantasy thing where I can come up with, you know, whatever I want, this would be a large, broad story. Mm. But the reason I think it would work is because, you know, due to the world we live in right now, uh, military and, you know, and even to an extent terrorism, those themes are really perfect for the time we live in. Um, and even as weird as G.I. Joe can get, they were always grounded enough that I think with a little tweaking, the comics could, you know, reflect the world we're in while still maintaining or without altering the essence of what G.I. Joe is. So thematically, once again, I like to go with themes. Themes of, of the comic would be, what does it mean? So G.I. Joe's tagline is, G.I. Joe, a real American hero. And was uh, when the movie came out, when did the first movie come out? Was that 2005, 2006? Mm, seven, I think. Okay. When the first movie came out, one of the big controversies, oh, because because the uh, 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 one of the first big controversies was will it have the tagline a real American hero? Because once you have a real American hero, you, know, you can't, you know, now that we've, we know this now, but back then we didn't know. Or if we didn't know, we just ignored it. You, know, you can't play it in the Chinese market, for example, uh, once you do a movie, you know, and you've got, you know, real American hero on it because it, I guess, alienates. I don't know. So um, that was a big deal. You know, and it was also a big deal because it was during a time, you know, particularly, I, we don't know what time it is. Jake said 2009. Uh, I thought it was earlier than that. But anyway, it was during a time coming off of George W. Bush's uh, time as president where everyone was asking these questions, like, what does it even mean, you know, to be an American anymore? You know, like, what is that? What is that? Uh, which is actually a question we're still asking. So thematically, we'd have to ask, what does it mean to be a real American hero? And this is where things could get real interesting with your comic because, uh, um, as I've stated several times before, you know, Larry Hama, Larry Hama is a, um, was a fantastic writer who was really good at coming up with really interesting backstories for a diverse set of characters. So, like, for me, the first real African-American uh, character in media I knew was a guy by the name of Stalker. Alonzo uh, Wilkinson, his, his codename was Stalker. Uh, he was like third in command uh, on in the G.I. Joe team. Um, Stalker's backstory is that he was part of a street gang and then realized on his own that his life was going nowhere and joined the military. Now, I love Chris Claremont's X-Men run, but contrast that with Storm's backstory in X-Men, where literally Professor X shows up and Giant says X-Men, and she is literally naked in the sky being worshipped as an African deity, and Professor X takes her, you know, and pulls her into the X-Men team. You know, one of those is, like, a little bit um, offensive, in my opinion, <clears throat> and the other one is, like, one that shows uh, faculty and strength of character, you know, for, uh, for their characters. And I'd want to keep all that, 
Um, because, you know, the question we'd have to ask, you know, and, I, and I've, I've got a roster, because of course I do, and even though no one might care about listening to my roster of favorite G.I. Joes, I'm going to list them here in a bit, um, you know. But, like, um, you know, even, you know, dealing with stuff like that, dealing with what does it mean to be, you know, a, uh, you know, an African-American from Chicago versus literally, you know, a Marine uh, from Louisiana, you know, which was something that happened within this within this comic. And Hama was extremely great about blending all that. I think you could even do the exact same thing here. You know, you don't have to beat people over the head with it, but just having those different, um, you know, those different uh, uh, tones, uh, you know, of just, you know, like that we are a group of people coming from this melting pot that is America coming together to fight terrorism. Um, I think that would be very powerful. Um, also, I think religious backgrounds could be explored. Uh, they definitely were in in the comic. Um, Spirit, uh, who was a Native American, but was a very... He would always pop up. He was almost like the theologian in the comic that would almost pop up and explain uh, different religious differences uh, when they were going to places, uh, you know, in the Middle East or in uh, Eastern Europe and things like that. Um, you know, that's really, I think, very important because, once again, part of being an American at this point, you know, is the First Amendment that, you know, we need to hammer home. You know, freedom of religion is extremely important uh, to being an American. Uh, and I think part of being a real American hero would want melting pot of religions. And I, I say that as someone who, you know, is, a, you know, is an avowed born-again Christian, but at the same time, you know, having that melting pot of different religions is part of what, you know, makes America, America. Um, and I think that's, that's important. Um, and then finally I have, you know, uh, and I will, we'll get to this. Um, but I have, you know, an ID and I, and I trying to, uh, you know, you once again, because it's a military concept and it's a military concept and, 2020 you have to address somehow uh, LGBT um, representation uh, in and and particularly in comics I think that's very important um, and and I think it's also very important to try and do it in a way uh, that isn't uh, embarrassing um, so like I'm thinking like uh, Jeff Johns uh, rebirth where um, Aqualad is like you know, is like sitting there and you know his mom comes in and says you know you need to do something you're a freak and he's like i know you know i can breathe underwater and his mom's like no i'm angry at you because you're homosexual okay that needs to just like that type of that type of representation just needs to die uh a very very quick death as a massive Jeff Johns fan, just a heads up, he is only slightly paraphrasing on that one. Yeah. Um, it just needs yeah. to die a very, very real and, and hard death there. Um, so so definitely that those those three themes, you know, what it means to be an American in 2020, you know, uh, from a racial standpoint, from a religious standpoint, from a uh, gender sexuality standpoint, uh, I think are things that have to be explored in 2020. Uh, and then the other theme that I think is very important is extremism, because um, Cobra preys on extremist values. Um, so from the from the beginning, even though this is a 
comic book that, you know, involves ninjas and like weather machines at times and things like that. <clears throat> Cobra's, um, Cobra's terroristic, uh, ability, uh, occurs mainly because they're able to see extremists and recruit them. Um, and I think it would be a fantastic way, um, you know, just to hammer home. And I would, I, this is something I wouldn't do very subtly, but just to hammer home that like, you know, Cobra is rounding out its ranks, you know, with dangerous extremists, both left and right. Um, and I think that's something that would be, you know, uh, I mean, you're seeing that, you know, in 2020, once again, you know, with the rise of certain, uh, political entities, <laughs> but like how dangerous extremism is. Um, but, um, I think that's something that would definitely be, uh, you know, that Cobra could definitely address that in a way, uh, that makes sense in 2020. Uh, and then, of course, you know, with extremism as well, how do you fight extremism without being an extremist yourself? Uh, that, you know, that's that's a something that needs to be asked in this comic as well. Um, so, like, you know, those are those are themes I think can carry you through uh, 10 years of, of comics. Um, and and you do this from a, a vantage point of just a very grounded military comic, but at the same time, um, you know, keeping it grounded and realistic, but at the same time, um, you know, having some, having some leeway for, uh, different elements of it that are a little more fantastical. So of course the most fantastical thing is snake eyes and storm shadow. They're both ninjas from an old ninja clan. Um, but like, instead of stating that overtly, you know, I think it would be like smart in the comic to just hint at that. Cause that's what, once again, I'm basically, this off a lot of what Hama did. That's what Hama did. So, um, excuse me one sec. Sorry about that. I had to take care of something. Um, so, um, basically what you would do, um, or what I, what I think, would be smart to do is to start off the comic. Um, you have, you have somehow, um, Cobra's on the radar, but they're not really on the radar. Um, they've been doing some, you know, terroristic hits here and there. And it's so bad that you have to call in a team to deal with it. And so you pick a guy who's going to pick a team and your first few comics are about putting that team together. Um, the One of the cool things about this, and the reason why this is almost the perfect time to do this, is because when the comic first came out, <clears throat> all of the characters in the comic, their background was in Vietnam. Of course, we have, you know, a similar, <laughs> a similar uh, uh, war that, you know, with, with both uh, Afghanistan War, Iraq War, basically all these a little little wars that have happened in the Middle East that you could create these characters. It's pretty easy to just transfer from the Vietnam thing to Afghanistan or Iraq, and that could be their background. Um, and so you'd have to put together a, a team. And the thing is, is like with this comic, uh, I would want to start with a small team and expand. 
one of the, one of the problems that the other comics have had, in my opinion, is that they've just given you this huge team right off the bat, and you've got all these people you've got to keep up with. Um, but I kind of want to follow the kind of the X Men concept of start small and expand. Um, mm. So I've got I've got my my main team um, from the get go. Um, and this is where it becomes a, uh, G.I. Joe nerd them one Oh one. Um, but you're the, the main team. All right, my friends, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, Duke who works as field commander, uh, Flint, who is a, a strategist, uh, snake eyes, who's a commando gung ho, who is your Marine, um, shipwreck, who is a sailor. Uh, maybe slash Navy SEAL. They kind of um, they kind of morphed him into a Navy SEAL as the comic went on. Uh, Roadblock is your heavy machine gunner. Low Light is your sniper. Scarlet is your counterintelligence. Tunnel Rat is your infiltration demolition, and Wild Bill is your helicopter pilot. And uh, does Hawk bring the two together? Or? So General Hawk is uh, is the general already. So Duke is your is your commander. Yeah, Duke is your commander. So General Hawk would be the liaison between G.I. Joe and, say, Washington, um, I think, would be the, the, the best way to do that. Um, for doing it for 10 years, one of the things you could do with this comic, and actually one of the things I would do, because uh, I think it would uh, keep people off um, on their toes, so, um, there's a, there's a video we love called the death and return of Superman. Who did that? Was it Max Landis? Max Landis. Max Landis who's kind of gone off the right yeah. reservation recently. But one of the things Max Landis says about death and return of Superman is that death and return of Superman killed death in comics. Um, because it meant no death matters anymore after you had Superman die and then just immediately come back. Um, so death doesn't matter in comics anymore. Um, the thing is, is like, if you're going to do a military, uh, concept, um, you have to have character deaths. And if you have a set start and a set end, um, those character deaths can matter quite a bit. Um, because, you know, they're still always kind of haunting the book. Um, so I think of like how early Walking Dead comics worked. Um, before it got way out of line, and then they were just introducing characters to kill people off because they weren't going to kill off Rick until it was time to end the comic. So I'm thinking about how the Walking Dead comics worked at the beginning where you'd have a character who would, who would die in those comics, and it would almost like the specter of that character would haunt those comics for several issues. And I think you could do something very similar here, um, particularly if you write the characters well enough. Um, but also at the same time, um, that keeps everyone on their toes, you know, uh, keeps everyone, uh, from, uh, keeps everyone off guard, so to speak, when you're reading this comic, you know, wondering how things are going to work out. Um, so you would do that on Cobra and yeah, correct? yeah, I would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and then of course for me, the, the thing about it is that having a breadth of comics or having a breadth of characters is you can't do just one comic with that. So, like, in my mind, in 
how it works is that, you know, you do, you almost do seasons, so to speak. Uh, I think the, I know it kind of gets like crapped on a bit, but I think the idea of the seasonal comics was, was pretty genius for Marvel because it always gave you a nice starting point, um, you know, and, uh, you know, always kept things, you know, centered around one storyline. Whereas, man, comics in the 90s, you know, guys, I can just tell you from experience, were not that easy to keep up with. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, the very first Batman comic uh, I remember buying was the first comic uh, for uh, Nightfall, which is a horrific Batman comic to buy. And it happens just in the middle of a storyline. Uh, it's starting a new storyline technically, but you're coming off all this other stuff. Their Bane is just randomly in there, and it's just like horrifying stuff. <laughs> and you know, being able to pick up a comic and um, enjoy it as a single comic is pretty important to me. Um, so I, I think if you could do a, almost a seasonal idea, um, that could really, really help. So like in the first season, you know, like I wouldn't even introduce Destro, for example. Um, you know, I think Destro, even though he's my favorite Cobra oh, villain. How could you? Yeah, I know he's my favorite Cobra villain. Um, but I wouldn't even introduce him. You know, like your first your first season, you know, you're fighting Cobra, you know, you're dealing with Cobra all by itself, you know, and then in your second season you learn well Cobra's been being supplied by the Mars Corporation, which is owned by dun, Destro. Dun, dun. Exactly. So you've got to go and you've got to deal with Destro then. Um, you know, and figuring out those um, those ties and everything like that. Um, and so then, you know, when you do your first season, your second run of comics, your first run of comics would be Cobra Commander. Second run of comics, your bad guy is Destro. But when you do that, you do a Destro, in my opinion, that's when you realize how broad in Spectrum Cobra is. And that's when you've got to split the book up. And that is when you, I think things could really start getting into a real, um, a real, uh, you know, a real uh, rhythm, so to speak. Because the comics I grew up with, with G.I. Joe, one of the best things about them is how so many different characters were used. And so, like, you know, for me, I would split it, I would split the team in the two, so we could have a second team that's led by Stalker. And uh, led by Lady J, who are two of my favorite G.I. Joes. Um, and I, you know, I would want them front and center. Uh, and then just adding that team, you could add uh, Spirit, Footloose, Bazooka. So you got a similar team, but that team does things different. You know, I, I'm just kind of spitballing here. My, my name for that team is the G.I. Joe Strike Team. But like they could handle things that are just like real quick missions, get in, get out kind of missions. Um, because that's what Stalker is. Stalker's a ranger. And as a ranger, you're trained to hit and get out really quickly. Um, and so that would be what his team would be. And then the third comic, in my opinion, would be called uh, G.I. Joe Special Missions, which is a callback to what the comic, an offshoot comic that there was during the late 80s called G.I. Joe Special Missions. And the comic itself was just to take the G.I. Joe comic, um, but at the same time, use characters that aren't really thought about as much. And so you'd have these little three and four issue arts on G.I. Joe Special Missions that were about 
different characters that are a little more um, obscure. Well, not obscure, but like their specialties a little more narrow. So, like, I'm thinking like, you know, you know, a character like Frostbite and Snowjob are two characters that uh, that you know they're only going to be used. It doesn't make any sense to use them in in the desert, you know, or it doesn't make any sense to use them, you know, on a strike team because all their specialties are for, you know, Arctic uh, fighting expeditions and things like that. Um, so, you know, you would have comics that would be built around them. Um, so, so that's, so that's my, uh, that's my initial pitch uh, for the comic. Uh, that's a lot of GI Joe information. Um, you know, but once again, when you put a, uh, a microphone in front of me and you ask me, you know, to do something, uh, GI Joe comes up, um, I can definitely go more in depth, uh, questions, comments, disagreements, outright anger. (laughs) Um, Jenny, let's go with you this time. Any, um, any reactions to Josh's pitch? Um, no, like, I think it sounds great. I don't know a whole lot about G.I. Joe's to give, like, you know, a lot of um, commentary on it. But I really enjoyed, like, listening to it. Like, I think it sounds great. I'd read it. Okay. Uh, how about you, Jay? Um, so, so first off, I do, I do have some questions. Okay. okay. Um, because although I the first thing I love that Cobra is based off extremist. Um, but that's basically where, you know, you're kind of getting your idealist for Cobra commander for Baroness and the, and the various characters following that. Um, I was curious because you had mentioned, you know, that you wanted it to be something to be taken very seriously, which it should be. But for a lot of people, it's kind of difficult to take something seriously. If you know, you have a character as I love him, like Sepentor or something shows up. So I was curious, um, how much is this based in like the more so realistic aspects of G.I. Joe? So yeah. You know, versus the will it have some of the kind of old school kind of so what's, styles. So yeah. what's great, okay? So once again, I, f- I ask your forgiveness already when I start talking about this, but also send all your hate mail to Vance McCarty. Yes, please. (laughs) Because he asked the question. And I wasn't going to go into this. Okay? I was not. Unless I was asked. All right? So. Here I am. (laughs) Here's. So, so by the way, this is something that someone, the last thing someone says before you take them away uh, to the insane asylum. Are you ready to hear about the Cobra Law Illuminati? <laughs> okay. okay, so, so yes, I am ready to hear about the Cobra Law Illuminati. So in the in the cartoon, the cartoon basis. Okay, once again, because if we're going to do GI Joe's, I'm going to pull from everything. Okay, but once again, you got to tweak it. You have to tweak it in order to make it work. You know, in 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 today's, you know in today's society because I do want taken seriously. Okay. And although I would consider, you know, some of GI Joe stuff very serious, you know, this, this, this is, you know, this is one of those, you know, hold on to your suspension of disbelief because it's about to take a beating kind of thing. Okay. So in the cartoon, the cartoon leads up to a GI Joe movie, which is fantastic. Okay. Which stars Don Johnson as Lieutenant Falcon. So 
right off the bat. That's amazing. Okay. But anyway, the cartoon movie uh, is a five part cartoon where you learn about Cobra's origins and they come from a place called Cobra law and Cobra law is a secret society that lives in the Himalayan mountains. And when I say in the Himalayan, I mean like literally inside of a mountain. Okay. And they, uh, they're really weird because they're like, uh, bioscientists, so to speak. So like all of their, you know, like everything they have, like they've got planes, but the planes are like actually alive. Like they like, you know, like it's just really strange stuff. Okay. Their main antagonist is this guy named Galabulus, who is literally half snake, half man. Okay. Like, the top part of it, it's like, think of a centaur only with a snake. Stay with us. Okay. All right. So, you'd have to take that idea and tweak it. Okay. So, of course, once again, think of 2020. You think of society in 2020. Everyone talks about Illuminati. Okay. Like, literally, like, I searched for John Mayer, uh, new John Mayer concerts a couple days ago. And, like, one of them was John Mayer in the Illuminati. And which is, which is, <laughs> by the way, hilarious. Okay. You know, that the guy who's saying your body is a wonderland is part of the Illuminati. Um, but that concept of secret society is, is so prevalent uh, in, in America, you know, not just Illuminati, but things like QAnon and stuff like that. Uh, that the secret society that's actually running everything. Okay. So one of the issues within Cobra is that uh, one of the issues that everyone has with the comic is how does Cobra get all this money to do the things they do? Because they literally build an air force, you know, they build a military, you know, they've got all these bases. Uh, they bought an island at one point, literally called Destro Cobra Island. You know, uh, Destro doesn't, definitely doesn't work for free. So you'd have to introduce at some point a backer, in my opinion. And for me, you take that Cobra Law idea and you just tweak it so it's a bunch of men you know in black suits jake mm. okay uh you know or backers in black suits a society my favorite opening to any story exactly a society in of of people that back up these cobra terrorists um you know and i yeah once again i would absolutely keep all the names uh including nemesis enforcer which is one of the best names of anything in history nemesis enforcer uh but i would yeah i'd keep all those names as a callback but you know they wouldn't be like half reptile <laughs> you know they but they'd Darn. be an illuminati and here's the thing the way you could do serpentor <clears throat> so okay once again this is gonna sound like a crazy a crazy person so the um the serpent serpentor is basically a clone <laughs> a clone that's cloned from the DNA of like all of the greatest warlords in history. So like literally, uh, there's a, yes, go on. Yeah. So like literally his, his DNA, you know, has Genghis Khan, uh, Alexander the, Alexander the great, you know, uh, like Zulu, you know, uh, like, I mean, just like all these like warlords that create him and he created from that, to be the ultimate warrior, uh, ultimate soldier, ultimate warrior, ultimate warlord. Um, but once again, in 2020, you know, like one of the questions that people are having in 2020 and one of the things that keeps popping up is like, 
Are you going to have the ability to choose what type of kid you want? Are you going to have the ability to choose, you know, like if you want a kid with blonde hair, you want a kid of black hair, whatever. All you got to do is tweak that just a little bit, uh, just tweak it and make it a genetic thing, and the idea still works, you know. Use, use genetics, create the perfect soldier, you know. Serpentor still works, you know. And I would absolutely keep the name Serpentor because, once again, I think Nemesis of Forcer is the best name. Serpentor is number two, uh, you know. So, um, so yeah, no, I think you could still make it work and still tweak it, you know, um, and keep it somewhat serious. I mean, look, guys, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, like, you know, here, here's, here's the thing, okay? You know, you can have a mature comic, you know, with and still be somewhat fantastical. Um, I mean, you know, Walking Dead, lest we all forget, you know, is a comic about the zombie apocalypse. So uh, you could definitely have that uh, that that type of comic. You could definitely make it. So, so yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be how I would do that. So once again, I apologize for that. Uh, but that was Jacob's question. So yeah. I feel like there's probably going to be no more questions after that. Like, please make him <laughs> stop kind of stuff. Like, you know, the video game idea was fun. The gym idea was fun. But G.I. Joe, let's just... he know, He's way too into G.I. Joe. He won't stop <laughs> yeah. talking. Um, I do have um, one question f- for you real quick. Um, so, when I f- think about stories like this um specifically stories that relate to um war and the military um and where we are right now especially people around our age who um i won't say it's it's a uniform sentiment but it is definitely a sentiment that's present that um, is very much anti-military and focuses on kind of pointing out the the flaws with the institution, um, some of uh, the more predatory um, recruitment practices that the military um, utilizes at times and things like that. Um, again, not an endorsement of any kind of philosophy from the family correspondence, just try, you know, just identifying, <laughs> just identifying that these are ideas that exist. Um, uh, good, good coverage on that, Al. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, uh, you guys will have to follow me on Twitter to see what I really think as an individual. Uh, but um, with the knowledge that those are, things that um again will not be um a uniform philosophy that everybody has it's definitely a part of kind of the cultural zeitgeist um whatever those themes come into play uh, my question to you would be how do you plan on um navigating that so that um the title doesn't it doesn't just sound appealing but it also sounds um uh, but it also sounds um, approachable um, as well, um, c- given kind of uh, these ideas that exist. Yeah, 
Um, no, I think that's that's a great question. So the way you navigate that, of course, is within the characterizations of of your GI Joe team. Um, you know that that's how you handle that. Um, so you know one of the things that you know that 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 goes back to that uh, that theme of what does it mean to be a real American hero? You know, I mean, you can't you can't go back to the eighties. You know where this was very much you know rally around the flag. You know. Uh, you know, Yankee Doodle Dandy, hand on my heart, kind of stuff. Um, but you deal with it. Not, I, I don't want to say being by being gray about it, but you deal with it by keeping your eyes open about it. Um, so, you know, best example of this is like so. Snake Eyes' backstory um, is basically you know in the eighties, and and once again we're we're taking a lot of this from Larry Hama who. I think it was pretty right wing in how he wrote it, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, Larry, Haw- uh, excuse me, Snake Eyes' backstory, for example, um, is that you know he was drafted um, into uh, Vietnam, went over there. Uh, when he came back, um, because he was over there and because he was on the front lines, his entire family had died in a car wreck, and he didn't know about it for three months until he got back. And, you know, that kind of, you know, um, that kind of reality of what it means to be a soldier during wartime, I think it's something that has to be explored. Um, Because I agree with you, there is this sense of, uh, there's definitely a pushback now against, um, you know, come join, you know, the the military, uh, you know, the, you're right, the predatory, uh, you know, kind of recruitment practices. Um, and there's a, there's a pushback against that, but at the same time, you know, there's also this need of, you know, if we're not careful, you know, going back to kind of the, the main problem with a lot of the hippie movement in the, in Vietnam as well, where it was like, you know, they were very much, uh, you know, against the soldier as well as the, you know, the government that sent the soldiers over there as well. And, you want to kind of play into that reality because it's always going to be there because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, you know, this, this is a, you know, this is a, a comic that should talk about the reality of being, you know, put on a team because you are extremely good at killing the enemy. And if you don't, if you don't talk about that reality, um, and speak to it. Uh, you're not. You're you're doing you're doing the comic a disservice. Um, you know, and like, and I understand like this is a. You know, this is a you know a, <laughs> a comic just based off of a toy series that had things like Cobra Law and stuff like that. But if you are doing it in 2020, you have to speak to that reality, um, and in some way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to, um, to navigate that, um, throughout the different characters, you know, I mean, like, you know, it's just, you know, Snake Eyes is kind of almost a cliche because he's very much the, the tortured soldier, you know, I mean, like his, Mm. that's his, that's literally what he is, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's called Snake Eyes because he's unlucky, you know, I mean, he's had half his face blown off. 
you know, can't uh, he can't speak, you know, um, because of, you know, uh, because of the same, uh, same injury. Um, you know I mean? And so like, you know, that, that reality is there in the original comics. It's just kind of there with all this other random stuff as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, that goes back into also as well. You remember the theme I said was one of the things has to be like, how do you fight extremists without becoming extremists yourself? You know, I mean, this is 2020 where we live in a day and age. And by the way, this is a, another one of those, uh, what I'm about to say does not express the values of the phantom correspondence, but it's 2020 where there's a sense of, okay, we're really scared of terrorists. So let's shut all of our borders and that'll keep all the terrorists out, you know? And to me, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a dangerous way of thinking. Um, you know, but that's a, that's a mindset that you have to deal with. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it comes down to answering that question that the comic has to keep asking, which is, you know, how do you fight extremism without becoming extremist yourself? You know, how do you do that? Um, and I think that would be, you know, that, that'd be where a lot of the push and pull would be from the comics. I have I kind of in like... Once again, like I, you gave me the the signal a while ago, but like like I have this kind of push and pull in my head because the two characters, so like the two field commanders in GI Joe are Duke and Flint. <clears throat> They've always been the the field the the two field commanders, and Duke is a trained soldier. You know, was a was a guy who you know went into the military when he was like seventeen. You know, rose up the ranks. You know, uh, you know, and refuse, and you know, stays takes the job as GI Joe field commander because he doesn't want to sit at a desk. Um, you know, that's that's his backstory. Flint's completely different. Flint's a Rhodes Scholar. He's literally a Rhodes Scholar in the comic who decides to go into the military after becoming a Rhodes Scholar. Um, you know, and and to me, there's a there's an opportunity for. Um, that push and pull uh, between those two, you know, of a kind of a a more military mindset from Duke, you know, which is just we got to do the mission, we got to get it done by any means necessary, and then you've got Flint, you know, on the other side, who's you know the Rhodes Scholar. I don't want to say the intellectual, but almost, you know, who's saying, hey, we've got to think about this, we got to think about how we look. We got to think about, you know, uh, what the public perception of all this is. You know, I think there's an opportunity for a push and pull there, um, you know, that can make things really interesting. But once again, I apologize because that's a lot of G.I. Joe nerd them. It's really, it, it really is interesting. It's like, it's like, you know, if you walked up to me and you were like, gosh, what is the, what, what are things you know the most about? I think G.I. Joe would probably be, it'd be like G.I. Joe, Bible, you know, maybe in that order, maybe. I don't know. Like, which is kind of sad. So, yeah. Okay. Did that right, answer man. your question? It did. It did, yes. Um, all righty, y'all. Uh, we have reached we have reached our, our end of this podcast. Um, I want to thank you, um, Joshua Wisage, for, um, for really delivering um, three very very unique ideas, three ideas I don't think a lot of other people would um, think of if they were given 
um, this kind of hypothetical opportunity uh, we've been talking about. Um, so, so yeah, great job, man. You've set, you have set a very high standard for all of us to meet um, as uh, we all take turns kind of handling um, this, um, this prompt um, over the next few weeks. Um, and yeah, um, I want to thank um, our other compatriots, um, Vance um, and Raven as well for being here and offering their commentary and discussion. Um, and I want to thank you, um, everybody who is um, taking time out of their day to, um, to stop and listen to us, uh, whether you're listening uh, very intently and hanging on every word that Josh is saying, or if you uh, just kind of have us on in the background, uh, we really appreciate um, you taking out the time. There's, you know, hundreds of thousands of podcasts for you to listen to. So uh, we really appreciate that. Let um, me give us the time of day. Um, yep. Yeah, and I just want to close by saying that um, this idea I had is really based on what the fandom correspondence is all about. And that is the idea that um, the fandom is for everyone. Um, I think it's one of those things that really unites us all just as uh, just as a race of human beings that we all have things we inherently value and things that we really uh, care about and are invested in. Um, and um, I still hold to the idea that you can learn a lot about a person by just kind of hearing them talk about the things they love. Um, so again, thank you very much. Um, I hope you all enjoyed and hope you'll tune in for uh, the rest of us having our nights. So have a good night.